We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everybody. Welcome on into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig, OTAs have gotten started all across the league. We're going to dive into some of the news and notes coming out of various camps. We're also going to get into some backfield deep dives, looking at the NFC West and in particular Seattle and Arizona, breaking down how those backfields are going to shake out ADPs. Do we buy them? Do we sell them? All that good stuff here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Welcome back in to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechnie and Mario Puig hanging out with you here on this Wednesday. Uh, this podcast brought to you by our friends over at Reality Sports Online. Mario, back in the saddle after one week off. Alan stepped in last week. You guys did a great two-round, was it a, a dynasty startup mock? Was that what that was? Uh, I think it was just a redraft. Uh, redraft, like, okay. Yeah. But I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Good stuff. As always, I was out in California having a good time, and nice. uh, now I feel good and refreshed. Uh, had somebody, uh, let's see, I, I don't know how to describe this properly. So I went to, you know, when you go to the beach, there are those like really like corny t-shirt and just kind of trinkets shops. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Dells or something. Yeah. That, that kind of deal. But, Ocean you know, I was, I was out in uh, Venice Beach and uh, I'm in there. And the store owner is some Australian guy with, with tattoos all over and, you know, starts starts talking to me, uh, mostly because of the mustache. And he's like, you remind me of L- mustache or uh, lawn chair Larry. And I had to ask him who lawn chair Larry was. But uh, apparently I remind him of a guy from the 80s that strapped a bunch of balloons to a lawn chair and went up 15,000 feet in the air. So if that's not a compliment. I don't know what is. Uh, what happened to that guy? Did the... He actually safely landed. Uh, what okay. happened to him afterward? I, I hope uh, I don't follow that path. That I don't know the obvious early. exit plan for I'm I'm you know high up in the air with balloons. Like what do you? Well, he there? had a BB gun. <laughs> he had a oh, BB gun okay. and he would shoot the balloons to just to shearing the balloons off. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Congratulations on that. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, maybe sign some autographs, get free lunch or something. Yeah, I'm the lawn chair Larry uh, reincarnate. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty fun. Uh, but, yeah, good time out there. But, dear listeners, uh, 
and maybe live stream viewers. I'm, I'm very tan now, uh, as, you, as you can obviously tell. Um, but let's go ahead. Let's jump into some OTA uh, news, notes, things of that nature. So as is tradition, we see a player who is fantasy relevant, who shows up to camp, maybe not looking like they're in midseason form, to, to put it lightly, as it were. And uh, th- this year's guy what, it is uh, none other than Leonard Fournette. Uh, so what do we make of that? Because, <laughs> because yes, the, the fat Lenny, what was trending uh, on Twitter yesterday? Yeah. Fat Lenny is just an off season tradition, isn't it? Like that's just kind of um, that's how he recovers from the rigors of the years. Uh, he heals with the, uh, I don't know. I imagine some kind of tasty treat that he denies himself in the season. And the, you know, comes back prepared to uh, get tackled 350 times over the course yeah, but, of four months. So what what I said on, on Twitter about the whole thing is people are going to fade Leonard Fournette simply because his bulking season comes at a different time of the year than everyone else's. Usually everyone gets gets good and, uh, you know, packs on a few during the winter, during the holidays, that kind of thing. Lenny's, you know, playing on Sundays during that time. He doesn't have that luxury, so... I don't blame him for just kind of letting it rip during the spring and the summer. He doesn't have to worry about that because he's going to get into shape playing in, in uh, Florida during the summer. Like it, you know, it's, it's going to melt off. And, and, you know, I, I think uh, I might've sent this over to you, but the, the famous blurb when Fournette was going through the combine and it was, yeah. like he, he weighed in at like two forty or something. And then he was 12 pounds lighter or something at, at LSU's pro days. And they're just like, water weight so if if anything Leonard Fournette <laughs> is being responsible in hydrating possibly too much yeah uh I mean I guess to be fair for for other bulking contexts you, you're also uh, adding muscle whereas it, it seems like Leonard was doing the kind of bulking that I do which is you you don't lift weights you play a video game with your food and then uh, uh that that adds a certain kind of mass that isn't good for playing running back with but like you said uh, he's, he's got his, he's got his method. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. And you know what, if, if he has to be fat Lenny week one, two, that's fine. I mean, he'll just be a, he'll just be a fat running back who still puts up pretty good numbers. Cause he's in an offense where uh, the, the quarterback is going to throw 45 touchdowns or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So that really, uh, you fat know, Lenny it, is still better than uh steroid using Keyshawn Vaughn. Ooh, did he do that? No, I'm saying like, even if he comes into camp, oh. uh, roid it up, the gills and doesn't even get caught on a test fat Lenny still got it covered. I, I tend to, to fully agree. Um, and I don't think this really should change anyone's opinion on, on Rashad white. I think, I think everyone should have been targeting Rashad white at cost. Um, I, I like him wh- where he's going in the, what, like the 11th, 12th round, something like that. But, um, you know, that no need to like put, you know, make more of this that than needs to be uh, Fournette is pretty clearly like the, the RB one, and one B in that, in that offense. And that offense is going to score a ton of touchdowns and yeah, that really nothing to worry about there, but it was good for, for a good little laugh <laughs> on a Tuesday, the, you know, the, the, the bad angle, the bad image. Um, yeah. That always, always, um, you know, that, that fires back up the Eddie Lacy discourse and all that good stuff. We can all just walk down. See, that was a different case. Cause his, his method was carrying it into the regular season rather than losing it in August. And yeah, that that's an example of, of when, uh, when the fat is not as blessed. No. Yeah. He, I mean, the, there's something 
to be said for buy-in to, to your team's culture and, and like, you know, be, you know, being a part of the, the state or the city and all that. But uh, I think he got a little bit too Green Bay with it. Eddie did. Well, Eddie would get a ch- Chinese takeout, as I understood it. So, Correct. Uh, that's, yeah, I mean, if, uh, if he had derailed his career on cheese curds and uh, <laughs> what, like some kind of fish some fry kind of flavored popcorn or something, I don't know what Wisconsin has, has other than cheese, but um, that would have been, you know, that, there would be more of a sense of guilt on the state of Wisconsin's part, I think. Okay, good, good point. And, and that, that certainly carried over for, from his Alabama days as well. You, you search Eddie Lacey China food on, on Twitter <laughs> and, and you get all that China, good stuff. China food. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Um, let's, I, I do want to ask one thing uh, regarding the, the rest of this Buccaneers offense because, you know, the Chris Godwin issue – where are you with it? Are you under the under the expectation that that he's going to be ready to go week one? And and what happens if not? Does that change your thoughts on on you know? It, would you more so be interested in Russell Gage for like DFS or something in the in the early part of the season? Or or you know what what happens if Godwin either isn't ready for week one or is certainly you know less than a hundred percent of what we've come to expect from him? Yeah, I don't really know what to think about Godwin. I don't know how anyone feels so certain one way or another what's going on with him. I mean, the injury, of course, is a, a substantial one, a torn ACL. Uh, it's not as bad as it used to be. It's it's still it's a pretty big injury, and the timing didn't help anything. But the way some people just are just declaring him out for the first six weeks or whatever seems – more baseless to me than the assumption that he'll just be fine for week one. And not that mm-hmm. the second thing is, is uh, not that the second thing is truly likely or anything. It's probably not, but there are exceptions to certain recovery timeline rules. And I don't even see the conventional one is, uh, you know, what is it, like six to eight months. I know people yeah. like, sometimes people like to just say stuff like, Oh, a year and a half. It's like maybe in like 1993, not now. But mm-hmm. uh, Godwin is a very athletic player too. He's that usually bodes well for how quickly you recover. Like I guess the the most crazy example of this would have been Adrian Peterson. Uh, I don't know how, when was his ACL tear, and of course he just came back uh, actually better than he was. Yeah, so then, uh, I think tore it at the end of 2011, maybe, and then 2012 he was the MVP. Okay, so uh, yeah, he was I think an example of how when you're a freakish athlete, you're tissue damage ten your you know your your ligament uh damage i don't know i don't know what makes it happen that way but when you're in a freak athlete it seems like you just kind of regenerate uh muscle cells better or something like that and i think godwin you know he's he's not recognizes this very often but he's definitely one of the most athletic receivers in the league you know a lot of people probably just look at his alignment data and think oh slot receiver Mm-hmm. He must run like a four six or something. He must be a crafty route runner. It was like he's a good slot player, but he is not dependent on running in the slot one bit. He ran a four four two at a two hundred twelve pounds or whatever, something like that. Uh, really good numbers. Uh, really explosive player at Penn State. He can play outside. He's he's not slot dependent the way like a you know a Wes Welker would have been. So uh, Godwin's a really good athlete. It wouldn't be shocking to me if he's back pretty quick. And uh, Cyril Grayson, for what it's worth, uh, he's he's a uh, was he's like he's the wide receiver who had the game-winning catch against the Jets last year. Uh, he had a few pretty good games, then got hurt himself at the end of the year. Uh, I happen to think he's going to play a pretty big role, by the way. But yeah, if Godwin can't play Week One, then Russell Gage is pretty clearly their plan to deal with that. I just wonder 
is is there actually reason to think Godwin will be out, or was it just kind of like they looked at Gage, uh, knew him well because he was in the division, and thought, hey, let's let's just get some insurance. Why not add a, a useful player and who really cares what the specifics are? We'll figure it out later. Uh, that would make plenty of sense to me if they they saw it that way, as opposed to we got to get Russell Gage because Chris Godwin's you know toast, and uh, mm-hmm. we we got to get our slot guy. Um, Chris Godwin got a three year, sixty million, fully guaranteed right. extension. So they know he's, they, they have decided like he's going to be back. The question is how soon. And uh, I don't know. I think, I think they just looked at gauge as like a worthwhile insurance policy, even if a rather expensive one. And moreover, I think there's a lot of grounds for thinking that gauge is not particularly good. And it's a, uh, it, he doesn't need to be great for the Buccaneers to rationalize the expense. You know, it's not like they're going to go into this year. Like, Oh my God, we got to get, Russell Gage, hundred catches or else we're going to look stupid for our free agent signing. Like, I think mm-hmm. they just, they don't care either way. They're just kind of happy to collect some parts and see how it all sorts out. But uh, I, I really, I know that the, the finances dictate that this is unlikely, but I don't think it's an actually serious question as to who would be a better slot receiver between Russell Gage and Jalen Darden. I don't think it's even close. Like the idea of, of Russell Gage doing at North Texas with J- what Jalen Darden did there is completely absurd. Like he, he's a backup and around specialist at LSU. Uh, he had like 400 yards in his whole career. So the, the finances of the gauge contract dictate that he will get the shot over Darden, no matter how good Darden is and no matter how bad gauge is. But I just, I don't see the grounds for assuming Godwin doesn't just kind of trump both of them pretty easily. And I, you know, just looking through Tampa Bay's depth chart, and obviously it's going to look a lot different in, in a couple of months, but they really, they really have kind of like stockpiled it, at least from the last couple of seasons, obviously, including Jalen Darden. But I, I do want to know that this is real deep dive type of stuff, but I mean, Jareth Stearns and Devin Tompkins were two of the most productive players in college football last year. I don't think that either of them have real great shots at, at, at making it necessarily, but I think who's it's Tompkins? He, I don't know was who he, the U, he was the Utah state receiver who, who just absolutely crushed um, oh. last year, but, but is he the one who's like 155 pounds or something. He's small. He's real small. Right. So like, I, I, I see less of a chance for him, but Stearns, uh, his brother, uh, Caleb Stearns, I want to say uh, uh, the, Safety from Texas. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, he's a really good athlete. I don't know anything about Jareth other than his big numbers. The wide receiver one for Bailey Zap or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so I mean, like, it's interesting. Yeah, his workout numbers are weird. It's a four six at five eight one eighty three, which is bad. But then right. he had a forty inch vertical, which is normally a guy with a forty inch vertical is running more like a four four than a four six. Yeah. So I mean, I, maybe he just uh, ran bad that day. You know. Um, might have been windy or something too. Could have, could have. So I don't know. That's just like that, those are things. Those are items to to maybe pay attention to for for training camp more more so than like anything fantasy related or in your if you're in like it's a worth super, watching super certainly because even if if Gage is out there and Godwin isn't, Gage is going to do something. I mean, who, whoever's out there is going to do more than uh, you know like Tyler Johnson did last year. Like I'm not worried about Gage failing to that extent. But I do think people who invest in Gage should prepare for something like 60 catches for 700 yards and three or four touchdowns this year. Because um, they, they for, for Gage to really pay off, uh, you basically need Godwin to miss at least six games. And I don't, I don't know, it seems a little hasty to me. 
I, I tend to agree as well. Um, we got a uh, mention from our buddy uh, Crackshot, uh, 3322. Uh, I don't really think the guy Jordan... who is... I think this might have been the person who was uh, giving me the business about Javante Williams last week. Uh, oh, no, okay. Jordan Mason will not replace Elijah Mitchell. He might replace nope. uh, what's his name? Uh, Sermon? The, or, uh, uh, sure. Uh, T- uh, Tyrion, Tyrion Davis. Price. Price. Okay, Fisher yeah. Price. Fisher um. Price. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think Mason. Uh, he's 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 interesting as far as like f- fourth. Uh, what is it, fifth? running backs go uh but yeah. he's got a way to climb obviously yep gotta got get over uh, the jamichael hasty hump before we, we start really uh talking about him in, in in much more detail um let's get on over to green bay we mentioned green bay earlier in a different context let's go ahead circle on back so as we know Devonte adams is no longer in green bay so that that and no nor is marquez valdez scantling and therefore, Alan Lazard has kind of been penciled into that number one role in the, in the Packers draft kind of dictates that also a little bit. I mean, we'll, we'll see what Christian Watson, Romeo Dubs and, and um, uh, Torre are able to do. But but uh, Mario Rogers, sure. Um, but Alan Lazard kind of made some waves uh, yesterday. Is he holding out? So. In the most uh, technical sense, I think he kind of is. Uh, I guess what remains to be seen is whether it's a holdout holdout or if it's just he's not reporting to practice as a perhaps extension is being negotiated. Like maybe this is the maybe he's doing kind of the, uh, you know, the equivalent of when you pull a player in the middle of a baseball game because he just got traded or something. Oh, yeah. Like maybe he's saying like, I'll be there, but not until, you know, uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be putting myself on the shelf until we, we get everything written in ink. But if he is holding out and the, if they don't have like an extension imminent to otherwise get him into camp, uh, that's pretty weird. I mean, it's, it's a pretty interesting gamble made by Lazard if so, but it's kind of reasonable too, in a way, because the Packers have no cap space. Basically they're, they, they can't really cut, pretty much any guaranteed money and for that reason they can't just go and add an Odell Beckham or a Will Fuller or something like that they, they have to go with Lazard and they cornered themselves into just needing him to play no matter what when uh you know normally that's not the case for a player like Alan Lazard normally Alan Lazard is the kind of player a team will just go like yeah whatever we'll find somebody else to, to do what you do the Packers don't have that luxury so if he is holding out He's kind of got them pretty good. Uh, we'll see, though. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more like they're going to give him a two-year, uh, I don't know, like $18, 20000000 million deal or something like that in the next few days. Yeah, I think that that, that like three years right. with a void year or something to because they got to push it past this year. Right now, they don't really have much for 2022. Got it. Yeah, I mean – you know, he does have leverage in that sense where the, the Packers would be in big trouble without him. So and that that's a weird spot to, to be in when, when you need need Alan Lazard like that. But, yeah. You know, nice. Here work. we are. Gutekunst or whatever his <laughs> name is. Goody. Yeah. So Killing. I mean, what so with that in mind, you know, again, we're, we're probably we're assuming that that, you know, this will um, end. Up I think he'll be in there out. soon. Um, yeah. But 
you know, what, what are your thoughts on the rest of this Packers receiving core? And, and, you know, with, with Hackett being gone to, to Denver, you know, obviously LaFleur is, is kind of calling most of the shots at, with, with this offense, but um, you know, do you see the shape of this offense changing? You know, I think surely just because of the fact that 30% of the targets aren't going to Devonte Adams anymore, things have to look a lot different. Yeah. 30% of the targets in Adams's respect and, uh, Valdez Scantling has kind of like a disproportionate amount of air yardage per target, given the depth that he usually functioned at. So a lot of targets, a lot, a lot of uh, raw target volume and also air yardage volume to be accounted for. And I don't think you can do it with the pass catching personnel. I, I can think of uh, Tunyon having a pretty big year, uh, but they'd still it's just like a dent in, in uh, you know, what what they what they uh need to work through to, to replace that much volume, especially with Adams, of course. So I think they have to run more than they did in recent years. And that would make a lot of sense too, because they haven't really utilized AJ Dillon in a way that rationalizes the, the draft pick they spent on him. Like I thought, I thought AJ Dillon would have gotten more work by now. Cause I, I just assumed that's why they spent that second rounder on him and more. It's more been the case that uh, he's just kind of been like an emergency replacement for Jones or when Jones, you know, needs a breather or when it's short yard. He's like, I thought they're drafting Dylan to make this a 15 carry Aaron Jones, 15 carry AJ Dylan offense. Uh, this year, they might need to do that because they just cannot replace Devonte Adams uh, and they can't. They don't have the speed necessarily to run the, the route depth and generate the air yardage that Valdez Scantling did. It's just not on the table. So with that, you know, in in mind, uh, when it comes to Dylan, do you like him at, at his current ADP? I know, I know you haven't like gone, gone full bore in, into your uh, uh, creating your best ball portfolio just yet. But, you know, Dylan's ADP on, on an NFC uh, dating back to the start of May is 67. So other running backs going um, in his area. Well, it's kind of a dead zone to, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a lot of receivers and quarterbacks that tend to go in that range. And D- Dylan's kind of like the only guy there for, for about 10 picks until you get to Kenneth Walker, which we'll, we'll discuss a little bit later. But so with, when you have that kind of market shape, you know, th- is there a way that you can build a roster that, that you like and kind of count on ha- having Dylan available in that like fifth, sixth round range as, as you know, a next guy to, to, uh, to target. Well, that strikes me, I guess, as like a little bit high of a price, but I guess it might be a market driven by uh, people going very wide receiver heavy early on. And maybe they're taking AJ Dillon as their second running back, uh, maybe a little earlier than they'd like to. But for the reason you said, it's like they can either at that point go quarterback or they could take their fourth receiver, which they might not want to do. Maybe they're at that point just saying, I got to take some running back, any running back. And maybe Dillon is going to always cost that much at best. Uh, for that reason, um, sorry to back up a little bit. I, I mean, Christian sure. Watson has the kind of speed that Valdez Scantling does, but he, I just don't think he's going to be able to immediately project for like 700 plus snaps. So uh, I definitely think in any case, there's, there's tons of slack that Dylan and Aaron Jones are, I guess maybe Tony in a little bit are the most plausible candidates to pick it up. Um, if the Packers have enough work to go between Aaron Jones and AJ Dylan with neither of them getting hurt, then it has to mean, I think, a, a really down year for Aaron Rodgers' passing yardage. And uh, it'd probably require the Packers having like a top five defense, which they could, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it would require a very, you know, particular narrow sort of path. There's, there's not a lot of ways that Dylan's going to really smash for you at that cost, in my opinion, even if you kill it at receiver with those early selections. 
Yeah, no, that, that's an interesting way way to put it. Yeah, the, the, so, but Jones yeah. has injury issues going sure. back to UTEP. So, no, yeah, yeah, he absolutely does. We, we've seen that before, and uh, I think the Packers in general, you know, they, they obviously paid Aaron Jones, but you know, I, I think it's smart, especially with with Dylan entering what his third season. Let's let's start to to utilize him more while he's while he's on his rookie contract. And I know that runs a little bit counter to, to our like pro running back stances. It's a little more cynical of a, of a framing of it, but. It's like, come on, man. Like you have a like six foot, 240 pound refrigerator, like packed with cement at running back. Like go ahead and use that. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense to use a guy like that at that cost anyway. In the second round, it doesn't make sense to use that guy in a rotational role. It's like part of, part of what makes him effective is the defense being subjected to that physicality multiple, you know, not just multiple many times in a game, because by the 10th time you have to tackle him, it's like, you're, you're just starting to feel like ill you're starting yeah. to feel like your collarbones are snapping off. Um, so that's that's what makes Dylan effective, you know, that, that making them just subjected to that physical pain of tackling someone that big and dense and fast. Uh, but when you give them five carries a game, the defense is just kind of – maybe that one play, they're like, ah, oh, that, hurt, that hurt a little bit. Oh, good, Aaron Jones is back in the game. Like that's, that's a lot different than like, oh, God dang it, they're going, you know, to fifth carry of Dylan's on this drive and we just want to die. Yeah. Right. Like, so, um, you know, use him to, to just kind of tenderize the defense. Like, I feel like that, that makes um, plenty of sense. I'm trying to, to see if there's, if we have data on his player page about uh percentage of, of snaps with, with the touch, I'm not finding it right now. That's bad audio. So sometimes it doesn't load. Right. But uh, yeah, I'm guessing he has a pretty high, well, geez, he was so good as a pass catcher is the weird thing about Dylan. And that was the one part of his profile that was an unknown coming out of Boston college. So oh, it, it is high. Yeah. So okay. almost, almost 50% of the time that he's on the field, he gets a touch. Yeah. I was almost about to say he doesn't, usually you get a low percentage of snaps with a touch by playing a lot of passing down snaps. Uh, so Dylan obviously does not really do that, uh, but he's been really efficient, really effective on a per target basis, which was kind of a pleasant surprise. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, He's sort of not to draw the direct comparison to, to Kenneth Walker, but sort of had an, in a uh, non-applicable grade as far as his pass catching work came uh, coming out of Boston College. Um, let's go ahead. Let's move on over uh, to Pittsburgh. What's the latest there? What what have you been noticing coming out of uh, out of camp there? Well, I guess we can quickly acknowledge the Najee Harris two hundred and forty four pounds thing. Uh, I'm not concerned about that. I'm not. I'm not a excited by it either i know some people are kind of like oh god now he's derrick henry because obviously the the only difference between derrick henry and, and Najee harris was uh henry weighed 14 more pounds last year uh, and and now he has become derrick henry's like no derrick henry is faster at 247 than Najee harris is at 230 so if Najee harris is 244 you know the, he's further away from henry despite despite looking more like him uh what could be useful about that extra mass is it, it allow uh, it, it probably reduces the risk of, of Harris getting something like a you know busted shoulder or something like that. And with the workload that he's taking, that, that's that's a pretty you know substantial risk. So uh, he's adding that mass, and if he doesn't lose too much speed for it, it could just be a way to maybe have a little bit less injury risk. Is the way I see it. It, it makes it more suitable for a volume workload, and of course he's he's going to get every rep he can handle pretty much uh the one thing that i i guess we can rule out uh right off the bat is that it's you know it's not a, even like lenny 
it's not fat Lenny system. It's just, uh, he's, he's more of a rocked up weight gain than a, than a fat one. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree with, with that one. Um, there, there is a, a difference there and that, you know, I could see, you know, Najee Harris co- comes out last year, 307 carries. I mean, that, that, that was one of the most in the league. I could see them, especially he's going over. He's going, yeah, over. I think, yeah. you know, with their, with their quarterback situation being what it is, even though they have a nasty receiving core, like, Najee Harris the targets is going might to go down, ball. I guess. Yeah, that, that's about it. Um, but, you know, we could see him push for 325 carries or, or something along those lines. And uh, I don't know if Pittsburgh has really done enough to improve its offensive line enough to where Najee Harris is averaging over four yards per carry. But you, I, I think there are very few backs in the league with the type of uh, monopoly on the on the backfield functions like, like yeah, there's Harris no one. does. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so I would expect him to push for like 340 carries and probably like 50 catches or something ridiculous like that, uh, like vintage uh, Jamal Anderson or whatever. Oh man, yeah. Can he do the Dirty Bird though? I guess <laughs> I guess they don't really do that in Pittsburgh. No, uh, but yeah, I think uh, the other thing I guess is Trubisky. I don't know what it means. It could mean nothing at all. But to this point, apparently, is running as the quarterback one for the Steelers, which. I don't know if people are surprised by that. I, I wouldn't be surprised by much in particular with that, t- that quarterback situation, but people should prepare for the possibility of Trubisky starting all year. Cause as bad as Trubisky has been in the NFL, he was definitely a much better prospect coming out of North Carolina than Pickett is out of Pittsburgh. So uh, particularly if they're going with like a run heavy offense, Trubisky could be pretty decent for them because if, if he's a, if he's like a 28, 30 pass attempt per game guy, who otherwise gets like five or six carries. And if, if the defense and if the, you know, running back Harris in this case does all the other lifting necessary, he could work. Whereas with Pickett, I I think he can turn the ball over more rapidly and uh, kind of sink what would otherwise be a working uh, like theory of the team. They're going to compete right away too. It's like that. That's just how they are. And then uh, Crackshot notes that, you know, Najee Harris is probably going to face a lot of loaded boxes in, in that type of situation. That's true. But yeah. you're, not really, you're not worried about uh, Najee Harris having great efficiency when he's just getting 340 carries. Like it, I guess the other thing is, you know, just like we were talking about with Dylan, weighing Dylan's weight is, is a new thing for Najee Harris. And his particular effect on defenses could be a little bit different, too. Uh, specifically he might be a guy who starts looking faster in the fourth quarter, even more than before, just because uh, if you got to tackle 240 pounds, uh, 15 times by, by attempts 16 through 25, the defense is a step slower. What was, I figure you're the only person that I know that, that might know this offhand. What was Jerome Bettis playing at in his prime? I don't know if they had accurate numbers on him. He might've been playing at like 280 or something at some points, but uh, at the very, (laughs) Very low end estimate, two fifty something. Yeah, so I guess okay. to be fair, I don't remember his very early years. I mostly remember his Pittsburgh years when he was maybe a little bit heftier. He started out with the Rams, is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Man, yeah, I don't remember that. I do. I, I do think Jerome Bettis was a little overrated, uh, especially at the time. But uh, yeah, he had to running back. Me of that. Him at running back is, I know it was a little bit different eras too, but I, I just wish we could have had just, even now I wish we had a team where there's like a Jerome Bettis at running back on offense and then a LaVon Kirkland at linebacker on defense, just big, you know, defensive line with like Ted Washington and guys like that. Like where are all those uh, big boy 
football players of, of yesteryear. I've been, I've been uh, remembering LeVon Kirkland a lot recently. I don't know why. I constantly exactly. think of LeVon Kirkland. I've like, kept up awake at night. Like, how could there be a 290-pound inside linebacker? <laughs> it's just truly. But he was awesome. He kicked Physical ass. marvel. No, that guy, was, that guy was legit. He was scary. Um, he, was, he was something else, uh, uh, but a relic of a time, sadly. Um, that, that I love to remember passed. guys. We, we do. We can't help ourselves. It's, <laughs> it's the off season folks. We're going to remember some, some guys. Um, anyway, before we get on to a little bit of backfield deep diving, some spelunking even got a, got a message from our friends over at blue wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And a message from our friends over at Reality Sports Online. By now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy front office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test your mettle. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. 
If you like what you see, use the promo code ROTOWIRE to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realityfantasysportsonline.com. Again, use that promo code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, to receive that 10% discount. You're going to want to use that. Um, Let's get on over out to the West Coast. Let's start in Seattle. Um, Let's start with this Seahawks backfield because it's a, it's a tricky one to, to manage it. You know, I, I've my knee jerk reaction when uh, the, the Seahawks took Kenneth Walker was just like, ah, like this is, this is not a great landing spot for him for, for this year, just because the, there's a bit of a crowd there. You know, I don't know what Carson really has left in, in the tank necessarily. Um, but, you know, Rashad Penny, who is, you know, say, saying to reporters as, as of yesterday, that this is the best he's ever felt. I just don't really know how to, how to attack the Seattle backfield. And then, you know, as far as ADP, um, you, you could pretty easily see where. Isn't Walker uh, going Walker, ahead of Walker, Walker is going uh, like pick 77 or so. And Rashad Penny pick 93 is the ADP dating back <laughs> to the last month or so. Oh man, that's funny. Um, so I, I, I agree. That was pretty annoying when the Seahawks took Walker, but I think, as much as it's an annoying pick for fantasy purposes, for our purposes, I definitely understand why Pete Carroll made that pick. Uh, pretty much nobody else do I trust to do something useful with a player like Walker in this situation, but Carroll just wants to run the ball all day and he doesn't want bum running backs taking the carries when he does it. So Rashad Penny, I think is just totally utterly convincing as a talent. I think it takes a sort of, deliberate obtuseness to not understand why Rashad Penny is a super talented running back. Uh, if this getting anywhere with the people who hate him is just impossible because it's like, right. you, you say like, well, look at last year, look at what he did. Like, ah, that's just the six games. I don't like it. And you're like, okay, well, before he got hurt, uh, he was really good with the Seahawks on a per snap basis. They just didn't give him snaps. And like, yeah, but he sucks for that reason. It's like, okay. Well, when he was with the San Diego state, uh, you know, it was just the Aztecs in college. He put up like 2,300 yards and 27 touchdowns or something like that in 13 games while averaging 7.8 yards per carry. That yards per carry and uh, that touchdown rate is very specifically only matched by Barry Sanders. And Sanders had more volume because he was getting something absurd, like 35 carries a game (laughs) back his last season at Oklahoma State, whereas Penny was merely getting 24 carries a game. Um, But he was that yards per carry was the same and the touchdown rate was the same. And then if you bring this up and if you bring up the fact that Penny ran a 4.46 at 220 pounds, which puts him in a pretty exclusive uh, weight adjusted speed class, they say that's all that's all too long ago. I don't care. I'm like, OK, well, his, his, before his injuries too long ago and last year doesn't count because you don't like it, whatever. I don't really know what to say to that person. Um, with that said, Kenneth Walker is a pretty good prospect. And I think it's easy to imagine uh, Pete Carroll envisioning something kind of like Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams between Rashad Penny and Ken Walker. And for that particular model to work, you need to have a really good defense. You obviously have to commit to the run. Um, you need to get you know, 15 carries a game for both of those guys. But you can imagine it. it it's, it's not that hard to imagine that. Uh, with that said, there's no way I'm taking Walker at that cost. And I, I think if maybe if they were if, – if Penny and, and Walker were the same price, I'd at least have to think about it a little more, I guess. But if we're talking rounds between them – I mean, that's, there's just no basis to assume Walker is going to play ahead of Penny. Walker is not as good of a prospect out of Michigan State as Penny was out of San Diego State. 
regardless of what anyone wants to say, Penny is a really good prospect. Uh, he's as fast as as Walker, even though he's what like seven pounds, nine pounds heavier, something like that. And Penny was more productive in college than Walker was at Michigan State, as, as great as uh, Kenneth Walker was at Michigan State. So, yeah, Penny's injury history is never going away. It, it is a concern with him, and it's it's a totally valid reason to not be in on him. But if you're just going to assume he's going to get hurt and take Walker that high, I, I think you're setting yourself up to get burned because if Penny doesn't get hurt, your team sucks. Well, let's talk about like the the room created in this offense for more carries in the sense that there there could be a way, maybe not at like particularly or exactly relative to to ADP, but to where both Walker and Penny are are guys that you can start on on a week to week basis because last last year Seattle ranked 13th in run play percentage. Philadelphia was the first in Tennessee uh, shortly thereafter, like running close to 50% of the time. But now we have Russell Wilson gone so that there's, you know, some more rushing attempts up for grabs and they, they move to a, a non-mobile quarterback, you know, expected to be Drew Locke. I mean, do we see that the, this Seattle rushing play percentage creep up closer to the top of the league? And, and with that, you know, we could see, enough carries for, for both Walker and Penny to, to be worth it. It's possible. I think it's, it's pretty difficult in Walker's current price. Like he needs Penny to get hurt. Uh, and if he doesn't, it's just out of the question, I think. But if, if Walker were going more around where Penny is, then it's, they have a little bit more cushion, you know, there's, there's not as many ways it can, they can fall short at that reduced price. So I would get interested in that case. However, the, the other thing is, I, I think it's even a little hasty to assume Walker is going to just take over that backfield, even if Penny gets hurt. They love Travis Homer and Travis Homer. What they always knew he was like a developmental guy because he was kind of young and skinny when he came into the league. Um, he can run and he's, he's fast. And he's quick. He's explosive. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him get like six carries a game if Penny's hurt and, and leaving, you know, only something like 15 for Walker, which. We don't we don't have much reason to expect him to catch a lot of passes. I'm not saying that because he didn't catch passes at Michigan State or Wake Forest. It just doesn't really seem like the offense is headed that way. It seems like they're going to be pretty heavy personnel running a lot. Uh, so actually, to go back to your point, to, to your question about the run rate, I definitely expect it to go up. The thing that I'm really curious to, uh, to watch is uh, the tempo that they play with, because last year they must have been the slowest offense in league history. It was crazy the amount of time they would take between snaps, like every game they're finishing with like 54 snaps on offense. The league average is probably like 64 or something like that. 63, maybe uh, I'm just guessing, but moment, please. Yep. They were dead last in the league in place for game at 56. And that, and that was by, oh God. A, by so, a, a measure of three plays per game, but so behind, behind the worst, which was but, or the second worst, which is the Falcons. So what the Walker selection allows them to do is to increase the tempo uh, to get to the line faster and run more run plays. And you can, you can run with volume in that case. Whereas I think last year, I don't know if the running back personnel had anything to do with it, but it seemed like they just wanted to reduce the number of the plays in the game. Whereas when you have running back depth, when you have interchangeable, really good runners, you can take more of a chip Kelly approach, which is we're still going to be run heavy, but we're going to make you, you know, do cardio like you never have in your life. And uh, that's a lot tougher on a defense than doing the slow offense and running the ball thing. That's more like an end of game running out the clock kind of approach. But uh, it's not how you go about actually hurting a defense. Right. No, exactly. And yeah, up tempo with, with a lot of run, as we've seen, it can, it can certainly 
work and and you know it's so kind of counter now to to what nfl defenses are expecting from an offense on on a week-to-week basis it's pretty much what shanahan does too it's like they they Mm -hmm. go pretty up tempo and they they run a lot uh you don't really notice how many times they've run the ball because they they tend to throw it a decent amount too but i think with the seahawks you're you're not going to get many plays per game but you might get to 60 and that 60 plays per game might have a higher run rate like you said which which could i don't know what does that mean like 50 carries more for running backs or something that yeah, that'd be that'd be absolutely huge. So um, yeah, I'm, I've got a lot of interest in, in Penny at 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 his current ADP. Um, I, I think I'd be more interested in him if I'm if I'm targeting running back that than either um, Chase Edmonds or, or Michael Carter, both of whom are going yeah, not even in that close. Same I mean, round. those guys are cool, but Penny can if Penny does not get hurt, he is actually a candidate to lead the league in rushing because it's what he's always done when he hasn't been hurt. He just runs away from everybody all the time. So I, I'm I'm glad that with Penny's like kind of like back on on the radar because it you you've been on Penny f- since you know early in his San Diego State days I feel like or, or when he took if you were writing for, RotoWire college football notes back when he was at San Diego State you were like whoa this is this does not happen often and a lot of people just didn't pay attention and they they missed that entire part of his story right so f- follow along our college section it's it's top notch <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, we do a lot of good stuff over there. Um, another running back going in a similar range before we get on over, over to Arizona, jo- Johannes uh, has so patiently been waiting for us to talk about uh, Ramondre Stevenson a little bit, um, working on, on his pass catching. He goes around pick 108 right now. So a little bit later than these guys we're talking about. He goes in the, the same range as Isaiah Spiller um, and Melvin Gordon. Um, but you know, that, that's another backfield, but I think we'll, we'll have to spend more time on let's go, you know, bills and Patriots next week, because both those are, are really, you know, tough ones to, to figure out, but you know, that is quick, interesting about quick summation on Stevenson, yeah. please. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Cause just cause it's a pretty exclusive category when you're talking about backs over what, like 215 pounds and especially 230, even more rare. Uh, who can actually catch the ball and do it naturally, do it with volume and efficiency both. And Stevenson has shown, even going back to Oklahoma, he's shown real indications that it's possible with him. He, he looks like he might be the kind of guy who defenses prepare to stop and still don't really. Uh, it's, it's one thing to be a Daryl Williams who we'll get to and the defense doesn't cover him on his routes. But Stevenson could be the kind of guy who it's like you got a game plan for because he's, he's really good at it and he's prepared to, to ex- execute that function uh, with a lot of volume too. So uh, he might need to get rid of James White. That that might just be on the table as it is that he, he might be kind of, they got Pierce Strong, of course, and, and uh, Kevin Harris. I think we both like a lot if he doesn't get mm-hmm. hurt. So uh, yeah, Stevenson getting a lot of pass catching work pretty much has to push out James White, but I, I think Stevenson can do it. Okay. So we, so we kind of have the potential on the table then for James White playing in a different uniform this year. He might have to like retire or something. I don't know. We'll we'll see. He's got to be better than like Gio Bernard was last year or some Joker running back like Chris Evans or whatever. Um, so, uh, with that said, I am not getting my hopes up for White making a resurgence in New England. Really, Stevenson's just got to be better by now. Yeah, I think so too. Entering entering year two, I think thing, things are certainly looking up for him. And and you know the the debate that I, I foresee raging all summer between the, the Damian Harris camps and the uh, Ramondre Stevenson camps. Uh, those are going to be fun. You you can like both players, but I guess we're, we are going to have to pick a side at, at some point. Uh, going back to our Seattle discussion for a second, 
Aaron notes uh, 20 touches each for, for Penny and Walker is a blueprint for W's for wins. Um, I mean, they'd have I, to I'm guessing that's sarcastic, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if they're, if they, if they are getting 40 carries a game between the two of them, they are definitely winning. Cause uh, you don't, you don't do that when you are losing the time of possession battle. No. Well, you know, in the, in the, the counter, the, if, you, if, it, if it was facetious is what, do you want Drew Locke throwing the ball 40 times? Uh, by the way, do we want Geno Smith throwing the ball 40 times? I bet uh-huh. Geno Smith is the starter. There. I apologize for the not that, not that I'm trying to make that sound better. I, I'm not exactly thrilled about that, but I, I think that's where it's headed. Okay. All right. Well, either way, that, that I'm not really liking uh, the Seattle passing game this year, but the, the run game could be pretty nasty. Those guys are cool. We Yeah, they, they get the stamp from us. Um, let's get on over to Arizona. Talk, talk to me about James Conner and, you know, how the rest of this backfield is shaping up for you. I've seen James Conner. I've been in drafts. I'm looking at the ADP right now. Conner, his ADP on, on the NFFC is 31, but I've seen people have to go. Maybe this is uh, not misspeaking about, about PPR, but I, I've seen him go late second, even like pretty consistently. I'd, I'd say more consistently there. Um, that, then I've seen him fall to, to the late third, like, like his uh, current ADP would, might suggest. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting last year's results, especially if he's getting a greater share of snaps than last year uh, with Edmonds being gone, it's kind of hard to argue with it. I mean, the, the projection speaks for itself. But the issue with Connor, of course, is last year was the best injury luck he's had since uh, at least 2018. And his injuries are of a recurring kind of sort. And not just that, they're the kind that you would sort of expect of a bruiser grinder back like he is. Um, Sorry, excuse me, I can't remember the specifics, but I think um, it was like foot and ankle and like leg uh, type of stuff with the Steelers. That's a lot different than just kind of missing a bunch of games over a bunch of years for a bunch of different reasons. It's like, yeah, he gets hit there. He, He subjects himself to that. That makes sense that it would happen. And if he got hurt, that many times before on that basis, then it makes sense that he would have worse luck this year than he did last year, especially if he's getting even more exposure as a ball carrier. And I think he will, they're, they're dependent on him because if they, if they expect to rotate out Connor and put in Daryl Williams and get the same results, they're going to punt that it's not going to work. Like you can't expect Daryl Williams to do nearly as much from scrimmage, uh, especially on a per touch basis as Connor, because Connor, despite his durability issues is a legitimately good runner and pass catcher. Um, he's a total three down threat. And if he doesn't get hurt, he's going to rake at that ADP. But the, the uh, problem is of course, uh, he could be a landmine. If his injury situation looks this year, more like it was in 2019, it's just not going to work. And, uh, it's not going to work for the Cardinals either because Daryl Williams can't replace him. Uh, He's just a fullback. And I love Keontae Ingram, by the way, but I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting Keontae Ingram to be as good as James Conner because James Conner is just really good. You uh, you have a thing for Texas running backs, uh, even though yeah, Ingram as a USC. USC as it were. But uh, yeah, I think Ingram is interesting because he's he's in that again. This is this is my thing. Two hundred and twenty pound backs who run explosively. That's that's the ideal kind of NFL running back. And Keontae Ingram, it's in the numbers his production certainly. And then if you watch the tape, you often forget how big he is because of the kind of movements he's capable of. He's, he's very shifty. Um, and yet he's got that, you know, that 220 pounds is still real and it's still uh, not easy to tackle um, even if you square him up. So 
definitely Keontae Ingram is more threatening from scrimmage than Daryl Williams. Not just him. Ronnie Rivers is more threatening from scrimmage than Daryl Williams. Can't pass block at you know, 5'8", 185 or whatever he is. But Ronnie Rivers is a really good pass catcher. And uh, he's not a bad runner either, despite being so small. No love for um, Jonathan Ward? He's in. I mean, he could stick around for special teams reasons alone. I just don't know if a 190-pound 5'11 back is a serious candidate for many snaps from scrimmage, but uh, definitely a good pass catcher. Like he's got, he, he's one of those guys, Jonathan Ward is, he's one of those guys who uh, he's got the skills. Like he, he could play running back really well if he were more athletic than he is, but he just doesn't really have that many tools to work with. Yeah. Unfor- unfortunately that's true, but uh, I'll always be uh, look, look at Jonathan Ward in a favorable lens for, for his PPR um, monster at a central Michigan, right? Yeah. His, his action contributions, they shan't be forgotten. Um, but go, going back and just kind of rounding it out. So how are you approaching James Connor? Like it, at, at that, you know, mid, mid to late third ADP, is that something that, you, that you're willing to t- take the plunge on? I mean, obviously, that, that depends on, on how you structure your first two picks. But, you know, in a vacuum, as it were, is do you see yourself getting some some Connor shares at that, at that ADP? I'll definitely need to for best ball tournament kind of things. In redraft, I'm probably a little more hesitant because I do expect him to have worse injury luck this year. It's just that if uh, if he doesn't have worse injury luck, then uh, it's going to be a bad year to not have Connor shares. So when when it comes down to that, the fact that we can't control anything, I don't really know what to do other than try to take measured exposure. And uh, certainly in best ball tournaments, it's like... It, there's a chance that that Connor is like a 20 touchdown guy, you know, and if you don't have any shares of the third round uh, 20 touchdown guy, you're probably not finishing that high. No, absolutely. And then, you know, as, as it pertains to this year, taking injury out of it, you know, he is someone who averaged just 3.7 yards per carry last year. And, you know, a lot of his value was totally buoyed by the fact that he had a career high 15 rushing touchdowns. Like, do do you fear that? I think those are related monster. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think like running that that share of his carries, which wasn't that much, by the way, 202 carries is not that much for how many carries in the red zone he got. It's just there's not as much yardage on the table at all with with where he was getting the ball. And and at that particular share, he was it was a tough task to get to four yards a carry. I would have been more concerned if he wasn't scoring the touchdowns. If he's got Mm -hmm. 3.7 yards per carry at seven touchdowns, I'm like, oh, that guy's not he's not winning. He's, He's getting beat. And Connor was not getting beat last year. He was kicking everyone's ass pretty much. And I, I know there was some, I saw somebody posting a, we did an EPA above whatever expected yardage thing for Connor. And it, he's actually bad. You no, you're, you're bad. <laughs> that, that always is, is um, absolutely true when it, when it comes to that. Um, but that's going to wrap it up for us here on the road to wire uh, fantasy football podcast. Again, presented by our friends over at reality sports online from Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.